This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Richard Cordray is a name that may very well be familiar to many of you. He was the first director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which was formed in the wake of the Great Recession as part of the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act. In his five years leading the CFPB, Cordray was tasked with making sure consumers were no longer harmed by the actions of banks, lenders, and other financial institutions. In 2017, Cordray returned to his home state of Ohio, where he previously served as state treasurer and attorney general to run for governor. He lost that gubernatorial race to Republican Mike DeWine. But if we go back further in time, some of you may remember Mr. Cordray from his show, from his uh, stint, I should say, on the game show Jeopardy, where he ended up a five-time undefeated Jeopardy champion back in 1987. Mr. Cordray, now a distinguished policy fellow with the Leo Model Foundation Government Service and Public Affairs Initiative at the University of Pennsylvania Law School. He's on campus today to discuss how the law can protect consumers when making large financial decisions. Great meeting you. Thank you for coming on here today. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, I would imagine that with some of the things that have been going on in the last few months and, and with the investment that you have, with the CFPB, that you you have a, a sense of hesitancy and worry about what has been going on with the CFPB over the last couple of years. Yeah, I do have some worry. I think that uh, what we have seen is consumers uh, are in such a significant financial marketplace with these big financial companies and big banks, some of the largest companies in the world, uh, that they need to have someone looking out for them, uh, protecting them against uh, abuses, uh, but also, you know, helping them figure out how to deal with their problems, uh, which is something the Consumer Bureau does. And I want to make sure that it is a robust agency that is fulfilling its mission. Yes. I would think, uh, uh, from your perspective, having been in this realm for, for five years and the way it plays out, that you've probably heard from a lot of consumers about the fact that we are you know, 10, 11, 12 years out from, from the Great Recession, and yet we still have things pop up like what happened with Wells Fargo in, we, in the recent past. We do. We do. And, and probably we will always have some things pop up. Hopefully they'll be smaller. Hopefully they'll be less outrageous. Uh, but it's important. You know, you don't just assume that your city block is safe without making sure that there's a police force to monitor it to some degree. Yeah. Uh, and the same is true of the financial marketplace. No different there. When you jumped into the role leading the CFPB and, and obviously in that in that place in time, a couple of years out from the recession, you take on that role. And what are your thoughts in terms of the the issues that you really have to tackle? Because at that point, the economy was still really starting to to try and gain its footing again. Yeah, it uh, certainly felt like, Dan, a very big job. Uh, One of the things we knew we had to do was to create reforms in the mortgage market, which had blown up the economy in 2008. You'll remember the terrible, irresponsible mortgages, uh, no documentation loans, where they didn't even bother looking at people's income and assets, but they were giving loans that were going to ultimately fail in the long run, uh, but could be sold onto Wall Street and and, uh, ended up... uh, cratering the entire economy. That was one of the problems that we had. We also knew that we had to build a robust arm to enforce the law so that financial institutions took us seriously and thought carefully about how they complied with the law and thought more carefully about how they treated their customers. And I do think there's been some institutional change there that is for the good. Uh, We also wanted to build a a way for consumers to have their individual voices be heard, to file individual complaints, uh, to get individual situations rectified. Uh, And we did that by the hundreds of thousands. In fact, there was 1.3 million 
uh, complaints taken during the time I was there that we handled. And I see that the agency does continue to do a very robust set of work there. They they just issued a report. Uh, they put out they d- dealt with uh, 330,000 complaints last year. So consumers have a lot to say. They have a lot of problems, and the agency is in a position to help them. And I think that's quite important. How do we try and get to the point where – and as you said, we will always deal, I think, with v- various levels of these issues. But how do we get to the point where the businesses themselves have a much better understanding where they will try to avoid situations that do impact the consumer that way? I think it's two pieces. I think one piece is, as you say, the businesses have to be convinced themselves that this is in their interest, that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And I think that the... Uh, hundreds of billions of dollars that were levied in fines and penalties in the wake of the financial crisis did wake a lot of institutions up. Not all of them, as you say. The Wells Fargo mess is surprising in light of all of this. But a lot of them have paid a lot more attention to compliance, and that's important. They need to get it. But the second piece is they also need to know that somebody's looking over their shoulder that gives them a motivation to be sure that they can't just cut corners, that they can't get away with violating the law, that it's going to cause them more problems in the long run, and that therefore it's worth a avoiding those problems up front. Uh, And I think having a system where there is monitoring and people are aware of it and people uh, respond to it uh, is important as well. For people that don't know, how much of a a partnership is there with a lot of these policy actions and policing of of banks and institutions between the agencies and the government here in the United States and in Europe? And I ask that because obviously there have been numerous stories of, of banks in Europe that have had many similar issues to what we saw here in the United States as well. Yes, and also there are big banks in the United States that operate in Europe, and there are big banks in Europe that operate in the United States. Obviously, the European banks have bigger operations over in Europe than they have here, but they're sizable here as well. So, uh, for example, we would cooperate quite a lot with the British uh, regulators and with the European regulators to some extent, probably not as much as, as we could have, but as you say, financial transactions have become more and more globalized. Uh, you know, there was a time years ago when uh, interstate banking was a novelty yeah. uh, and people didn't really bank much across state lines. That's entirely changed. And the same phenomenon is happening worldwide more and more. Uh, it's not quite that far along worldwide, but it is something uh, that is relevant. And I think that the better we can cooperate, the better we can see problems that they're having that we can avoid here and vice versa, the more we can help one another. How does the the advent of technology in the last couple of decades impact those issues as well? Because I would think you're talking about this, uh, the speeding up of the process of transactions, obviously much quicker now than it was, say, 20, 25 years ago. The, the technology obviously has to play a role here as well. You're, at, you're absolutely right. The technology has made a huge difference. First of all, it has made it easier for us to cooperate and to work back and forth with regulators from other countries and, and across the Atlantic. But at the same time, for the institutions, uh, the technology has changed the game uh, enormously. And much of what is happening now is borderless. Uh, And it is more difficult to enforce the law, given that 
the commerce itself is borderless, lending and, and banking, uh, and yet the enforcement often is still constrained by different uh, problems with, with borders in terms of issuing subpoenas and getting documents and getting information. Uh, and the businesses know that, and they, they sometimes, especially the illicit ones, feel that they're a couple steps ahead of the enforcers, and when they feel that they can get away with things, they will try to do so. Yeah, because I, w- I was thinking, as you were saying that, that part of this also lays in the lap of, of governmental bodies like Congress here in the United States, British Parliament, you know, you can go around the, the globe and, and find those specific entities. Mm-hmm. Of those those entities themselves, and, and it's one thing for an agency like the CFPB to tackle a lot of these problems on their own, but it's also a responsibility of Congress, of Parliament, of all these different entities to be aware of all these issues and to be able to pass the legislation necessary, yes. obviously in part with Dodd-Frank, to be able to prevent, try and prevent this. To stay current and to try to stay a step ahead, and it is not easy in today's very fast-paced financial marketplace. As you say, technology has been a game-changer, not just in pretty much every workplace in America and increasingly around the globe, uh, but especially in financial services where things are often instantaneous. Uh, and if the enforcers are one, two, three steps behind, if Congress is one, two, three steps behind, as happened, for example, when you think about Equifax with the big data yeah. breach yeah. of hundreds of millions of people's credit files being uh, breached and personal and, and sensitive financial information, uh, Congress is actually well behind on that problem and we need some reform there. Richard Cordray joining us here in studio, former director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, now a distinguished policy fellow here at the University of Pennsylvania law school uh if if we are going to move forward with consumer protection what are the areas that you think we need to continue to focus on moving forward because this is part of what you're going to be talking about here at the the university of pennsylvania today the actual state of consumer protection and the role that law can play so i think uh, number one it's important for there to continue to be uh, you know, robust regulation and and robust oversight and especially enforcement of the existing laws. Um, you know, we don't necessarily need a lot of new regulations. You know, there, there are places where we could probably improve things. And as you say, staying current with the changes in the marketplace is important. Uh, but even-handed enforcement of the law is significant. When you don't get even-handed enforcement, some people are getting an edge they're feeling like they can take an edge by violating the law. Yeah. Everybody else has to compete against that, which is really the worst form of unfair competition when you think about it. Uh, and so that's important. But but I would say that um, it, right at, as we stand, we've had significant reforms in the mortgage market and the credit card market. They are much improved. Uh, they're functioning better. I think everybody involved in those markets, both uh, consumers and institutions would agree that things are better than they were 10 years ago. Uh, we should continue looking at other markets like debt collection and credit reporting yeah. and see what improvements we can make there. Uh, and it's an ongoing process. But it's also very important for everybody to understand that there is a cop on the beat. There's somebody looking over their shoulder and therefore it keeps them on their toes. Well, I think it's important with the housing market specifically because of how massive that that, that mm-hmm. bubble was uh, and the impact that it had on the economy that the changes that have been made over the last several years to tighten up the processes to be able to qualify for a mortgage, they are important to stay as close to, uh, you know, as where they are now as possible so we don't fall into another uh, massive housing crisis. I, I strongly agree with that. I also think that what we're doing now is we're monitoring the mortgage market much better than we did. The Federal Reserve has told us that in 2008, they really weren't 
they really had a lot of blind spots in terms of what was happening in that market, the deterioration of underwriting standards. People didn't see how far that had gone. And when you're not aware of a problem or if you're not on top of it, it's very difficult to head it off and address it. It's hard enough to address it when you are aware of it. Uh, but we're in a better position to know what's going on in that market, that critical market, as you say, uh, as at a time when it's heated up in various parts of the country, although the recovery has been very uneven in different parts of the country. Richard Cordray joining us in studio. Your comments welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I mentioned the role that Congress needs to take. What about the state governments and the roles that they need to take moving forward? Well, that's an interesting uh, point that you're raising because we do have a federal state system, a uh, system of federalism here. States have authority over consumer protection, as does the federal government. And we work best when we're working in tandem, when we're kind of strategically cooperating. It doesn't mean we're doing the same things. It doesn't mean certainly we don't want to be duplicating things. Right. But at the same time, if we have a strategic vision, we can talk to one another, we can cooperate with one another. Uh, Law enforcement never has enough resources to chase down all the problems that are existing out there. And so by cooperating and coordinating, we're going to do a better job. Right now, the states are stepping up. A lot of them are getting more aggressive about consumer protection. Federal government has backed away to some degree, uh, and that's a natural ebb and flow. And I was in uh, California last week uh, testifying. They're working on putting together a... an analog of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau at the state level to make sure that Californians are protected at a time that they're concerned whether the federal government is is retreating in this area. And that's a very natural thing in our system. That was going to be my next question, is how natural is it to have the states looking over a lot of these issues as well, because they are there at the local level, really having a better understanding of something maybe different in California than, say, in Georgia or Alabama. That is certainly true, and it's true of a lot of different financial. Some financial markets are national or even global in scope, but a lot of them are local. Real estate markets are very local, housing markets. Uh, I would say that uh, things like uh, payday lending and debt collection can vary enormously from one place to another. Yeah. Uh, and the state and local officials are closer to that. They have a you know, better finger on the pulse for that. Uh, so there's, there's an argument that we all sh- always should have pretty robust state enforcement of consumer laws. Uh, and as I say, best is when the federal and states are working together and have a strategic uh, kind of plan in common. Uh, but the states can do a lot, and they can do it in many ways, as you say, more effectively. What is the state of, of the payday lending industry right now? Because this is one of those industries that certainly has gotten a lot of publicity, over, especially over the last few years, about the practices that they have put in place where in many cases it really does put somebody that needs a short-term loan in a significant negative position when they have to pay it back. Yeah, well, that was what the research showed that we did at the Consumer Bureau. And the state of payday lending in America is very mixed. We have about one-third of the states who don't really allow payday lending. Yep. Uh, they they have interest rate caps, and they don't allow these 400 500% uh, interest rate loans to be made. About two-thirds of the states do allow them, although they have various different regulations in place. And it's interesting to see how which regulations maybe work better and which work worse. And that's one of the ways the states can be helpful is they provide experiments for us to see what does and doesn't work. Uh, But I would say that um, 
Uh, at this point, uh, there is a significant problem for a, a number of consumers who get trapped into what they think are short-term loans, but they end up stuck in them for long periods of time. It's never going to build your financial future to be living your life off of 400, 500 percent rates of interest. Yeah. Uh, we know that. Uh, and the question is how, how most effectively to address it. In your speech today here on campus, what is it that you really want to try and bring across? What are the what are the most important things that you think need to be addressed in, in this day and age surrounding consumer protection? Well, one thing is how important consumer finance is in our lives today. Uh, we rarely make any significant purchases anymore without using some form of credit, whether it's credit cards or some kind of a loan. Uh, or student loans to get education, as you know, you see all around you here on the campus. Yeah. Uh, the you know credit is such a much bigger part of people's lives. So managing that credit and handling it effectively is important. I think we do a poor job in this country on financial education, so that young people coming out of school and going into the workforce often end up making the same mistakes that others have made before them because they're not really learning from those mistakes because nobody's bothered to teach them. Uh, I think that we could do a much better job in our schools of preparing people. We prepare people to be a voter by teaching them U.S. history and government. Why don't we prepare them to be a consumer by teaching them about household finance? I mean, right. we used to do that years yeah. ago. We've, we've kind of given that up, and we need to get back to it. That's important. Uh, but I also, you know, I'm here on campus. Uh, there's a lot of great students here, and I want them to think a little bit about public service and how that could be a part of their life, perhaps, for a few years in their life, or at least have respect for those uh, who do it because it sets the framework and tone for our society and makes a lot of leadership decisions that matter. It is an important factor to what we have here, and it's always been kind of an important component to what we see here in the United States of some level of public service. Obviously, there are you know other countries that that actually require you having yes. A, a, a two-year, four-year, whatever mm-hmm. that stint may be, mm-hmm. public service before you can go a- out into the public. I don't know if that's something that could work here in the United States or if we would want to even tackle it to begin with. But because of the fact that in many cases it's a voluntary element, it, it, it's a personal decision to go down that route. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've always favored something like that. You see some some societies uh, require military service. Some require some sort of community service. Uh, I think more and more you have a lot of young people who are engaged in some kind of consumer community service because they understand that it helps build the resume and it also helps them get experience in yeah. life outside of school, uh, which is one kind of experience, but it's only one kind, you know, and it's and it doesn't prepare them for a lot of the challenges they're going to deal with uh, in life. So I do think that's important. So do you think that that as we have seen the generations develop and baby boomers have passed on to millennials and, and now Gen Z is going to be in the mix as well? that the understanding, and maybe not full understanding, but at least the interest in knowing more about an issue like consumer protection has grown in recent years because of, obviously, the recession and and, and some of the issues that banks have been involved with. I I know that it has. I have seen that it does uh, have more, uh, has captured people's attention more and more. Uh, people people saw, you know, it was it was 10 years ago, but only 10 years ago, people saw how this affected family members and it affected whole communities. Yeah. Uh, and people, you know, I think there was always a Depression era mentality to people who grew up and lived through the Depression, like my father. Right. Uh, and I think that there's something of that happening with the generations coming through that were affected by the crisis and whose families were affected by the crisis. I think they will probably be more careful consumers for throughout their lives. I hope that's true. I believe that's true. But I think we can do a lot to reinforce that as well. And unfortunately for a lot of those those kids, 
they saw it firsthand happen to their parents uh, with you know the loss of of retirement savings and and, and you know the, they somebody, did. and the and the loss of houses as well and, and the loss of uh, savings that had been put aside to help them get through school and that too and then yeah. of course yeah. those those who coming out into the workforce in that era. Uh, the difficulty of getting jobs and how that set them back, you know, sometimes two, three, four years in terms of their own trajectory and hopes for, for, you know, how the pattern of their lives would be. So I think people were deeply affected by this. I think people continue to be aggravated that they feel that no one was held responsible in a very visible way. None of the big executives ended up going to jail, and I think people resent that. Uh, But I also think they saw how much this affected their lives, and it's, it's part of their mindset going forward, and we need to reinforce uh, some of the good lessons that we're learning at the same time that we're working hard and, and the country continues to recover out of that. Could there have been more done regarding some of the executives that were... I, I definitely think so. I think two things that could have been done that would, would have been different is uh, holding some individuals responsible for things that happened. Right. And also, uh, when we... Uh, uh, put all the money into the banks, we should have required that to be loaned on into the economy to small businesses and job creation. And that happened very, very slowly. And I think it could have happened faster. How important has been the the, the implementation of stress testing? Uh, I think it's quite important, again, for two reasons. One is uh, you can't really address what you aren't in a position to see and monitor and, and know. Uh, so for the regulators, it's been quite important. But I think for the institutions themselves, it puts them in a mindset of thinking about their capital buffers, thinking about how they would handle uh, a downturn, yeah. not just being glib and easy in their mind that everything's going to be fine and, and all the optimistic assumptions can be as, can be uh, counted on. Uh, that's, that's what got us into some of the problems at the time of the financial crisis. And for us to keep those institutions more attentive to what they need to do to remain healthy over the long run is quite important. So not caught up just in quarterly earnings, but thinking about the long term. So because of your, your work in the past with the state of Ohio, how can the states and the treasuries at the, at the local level then play a role in terms of trying to make sure that their consumers are are in a better fashion in terms of working with the federal government and, and overseeing a lot of the issues at the local level? Well, again, in two ways. One way that I think at the state and local level we could do a much better job is through financial education in the schools yeah. and making sure that's a bigger part of what happens uh, with our kids' uh, age, you know, going through K through 12. Uh, but I also think that uh, state and local authorities could be strategizing about consumer protection better. Uh, there are things that they can be doing. There, are A lot of the things that we did at the federal level could be done at the state level as well, and often often they were being done. Yeah. Uh, and when we worked together on things, we were much more effective. It is, it is important to be able to provide that level of education for our youth in terms of, of financial literacy moving forward because of how important it is, even when you get into high school, to be able to have components of financial literacy in terms of uh, of if you have a job and being able to put money away and put yep. money in away in the right places so that you have money to spend when you go to college. And we all know that lots of young people are aimed at buying that first car, you know, whether yep. new or used, and uh, that's a big big investment for them. Uh, but but look, think about it. If we don't teach financial education in school, then what we're assuming is that people are going to learn it at home. And in some homes, they'll learn quite a lot and learn it well. In some homes, they won't learn anything. In some homes, they're afraid to talk about this subject because it's already a sore spot and it's a source of tension. 
uh, with with the parents or, or within the family. Yeah. Uh, and so if people don't get that, they're, they're going out on their own and they're learning in the school of hard knocks, which is not education at all. And it means that they're going to suffer their mistakes rather than be able to move past them without having to, to deal with bad consequences. Are we going to see you on Jeopardy at any point in the, in the future? Or? <laughs> I'm always uh, glad to be invited back to Jeopardy. Uh, I've been, been invited back a couple different times. What's and, that uh, experience like when you uh, go through that? Oh, it's, uh, it is uh, high pressure, uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, really stimulating and interesting. And I got to say... Uh, although Alex Trebek, when you miss a question, sometimes can sting a little bit. Uh, he is quite a, a force of personality. He's been in people's living rooms sure. for 35 years. He has really made that show a success. And I think everybody who's who's aware of his uh, uh, cancer diagnosis are, are yeah. wishing him really well. And I think that's booing him quite a bit because uh, he's... He's, I think, always surprised to learn how much he is beloved around the country. Is that more pressure than running the CFPB? <laughs> in a very short period, yes. <laughs> we should also let people know that you are a fair basketball player in your day as well, playing semi-pro from what I understand. Yeah, over in England in the early 80s where they yep. really weren't very good. Right, so, exactly. But yes. you, en- you enjoy a pickup game as well. Uh, enjoy your time on campus today, Richard. Thank Nate you. to meet you and look forward to seeing you back here on campus down the road. My pleasure. Thank you. Richard Cordray, uh, as we mentioned, a distinguished policy fellow uh, here at the University of Pennsylvania Law School and also former director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.